0: Uh, it's a big day in BC. It is Throne Speech Day, which means that we're going to find out what the government has on their agenda. And to help us out with that, we're joined now by Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning,
1: Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. And what they mainly have on their agenda is getting this session out of the way as fast as they can so they can get on with fighting the next election. So Already? Uh, yeah, we're starting later. Then last year, uh, David Eby's first session began at the beginning of February last year. We're nearing the end of February, uh, they're starting. So they knocked a couple of weeks off the session, places adjourning earlier. So all in all, a shorter session. And that of course means less time for the opposition to ask questions in question period. There's eight fewer question periods this year. And it also means less time spent debating legislation, of which there is a lot, 20 bills, and the budgets for all the ministries. There'll be less time to scrutinize those as well. So the objective here is uh, reduce the amount of accountability time in the session, get in quickly, get out quickly. And I think we'll be in for a fairly stormy session because of that, Sydney.
0: Okay. And what, what is like on the agenda here? What are they going to highlight?
1: Uh, Well, you know, (laughs) the government, of course, is going to uh, highlight all of its wonderful achievements. There are 20 bills. There'll be some stuff more with housing. Uh, They're going to be taking on Meta and the other uh, giants of the social media world and try to hold them accountable for the mischief and worse that is accomplished in their name. I wish them luck in that, but the world has been trying to hold these giant corporations to account uh, with very little success so far. So as I say, I wish them luck on that. I think that'll be popular with the public. Uh, the other thing is, I said yesterday, uh, we've got budget day coming on Thursday. We've got at least one new tax coming, the tax on real estate flipping, And the government has hinted that somehow or other, they're going to offset the impact of the increase in the carbon tax with a rebate from ICBC. So there'll be lots of questions on that. I think the other things, though, that the opposition will be focusing on, and one of the big ones, is these proposed changes to the Land Act. So the government launched a public consultation without telling the public Uh, in January, and the aim of that consultation was to uh, get feedback on a change in the Land Act that would move allow British Columbia to move to co-management of crown land and resources with the province's 200 indigenous nations. So 95% of British Columbia or thereabouts is crown land, so this would enable a major, major change in management of crown land. There's been a backlash over that, Simi, because the government didn't tell the public it was doing that. And when the news media found out about it, of course, there was reporting and people went, where did this come from? The Angus Reid group did an opinion poll, which we discussed last week. And not surprisingly, Reid found that the public didn't feel they'd been informed and, of course, had questions about what the government was up to Generally, when the government doesn't make a big deal out of what it's doing and quietly tries to get away with it, they've got something to hide. So that's going to be one of the big focuses of the session. It'd be interesting to see what's in the throne speech about that today. Uh, Simi, the government has said they're not going to start writing the legislation until after the consultation is done, which sounds like a good idea, March 31st. That's not what they were originally saying they were gonna do, but that's what they're saying now. Well, you look at the calendar for the session, Simi, if they wait for the feedback on March 31st and then start drafting major changes in legislation, it's only six weeks left in the session. That's not much time to digest the feedback, write the legislation, get it into the House, and get it passed. I think we're in for a fairly stormy debate around that initiative.
0: And because they did step up consultation now, but are people still—you have to write about it. Is that it? You have to write in for the consultation.
1: Yeah, I mean, yes, they've stepped up consultation with uh, major corporations, the industry associations, uh, people like the guide outfitters, uh, the uh, forest companies, and all that, and council of forest industries. And given. All the interests those players have in Crown land, they should be consulted. The government's been briefing them, but they've not scheduled any public feedback sessions. If you're a member of the public and you wanna know what the heck all this means, you have to listen to the speeches from government ministers who say it's no big deal, or you can write them a letter. Up to five pages, they're taking letters and supposedly they will read all those letters But if you're looking for one of these town hall meetings that the premier schedules for the stuff he wants to talk about, there's no sign there's going to be anything like that around British Columbia. The public is simply going to be confronted with the legislation sometime in mid-April to early May. And the government's plan, Simi, is to use its legislative majority to pass the legislation before the House adjourns on May 16th. So, so this is a rush job. Um, I think there's going to be some fireworks during the session from the opposition on this. But, you know, Simi, the... The session is a time for the opposition to debate and raise issues. But at the end of the day, the government has the majority to pass whatever it wants to pass.
0: True. But just to give people to put this in perspective for people, sometimes when they do consultation, it's like, oh, we're going to do consultation this fall, maybe draft the legislation next spring and then pass the legislation next fall. Like it's usually a year.
1: That's true. And that tends to be when they're very proud of what they're doing and very happy with it. And they don't think it'll be all that contentious. They think people will say uh, right on government way to go. You know, are you going to crack down on trucking companies that slam into overpasses or do something about Airbnb sucking up all the rental properties in in uh, communities that that tends to go over very well with the public and the government publicizes the fact that it's taking public feedback on it on this one. As I said, they launched a major public consultation in January without telling the public they were Hmm. going to do it. And they now say, yeah, we wish we'd been more proactive proactive about all that. But even for all the proactiveness, there's still no public forums where ordinary British Columbians, the ones that the government always reaches out to, can say, why are you doing this and what does it mean for us? Uh, You want to to send the government a message, you can go to the Engage BC website, which is a government website. You will find there uh, that the government is looking for feedback on changes in the Land Act, and the government will tell you what it's doing and why, and that it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And you can write the government a letter if you want, five pages, be polite. Okay, five pages, you got some time on your hands write them a letter. They promise they'll read the letter, Simi, and they promise they won't start writing the legislation until they've done that. I've heard, Simi, from somebody who used to be heavily involved in drafting government legislation, that there's a certain amount of BS in that. He said, you can't possibly digest two months worth of feedback and letters uh, and then draft legislation and then get it into the House and then get it passed in the six weeks that remain in the session after March 31st. He says they've either issued the instructions to the legislative drafting people for what they want, and they've made up their mind what they want, and the whole consultation process is a sham, or they will rush job a bill in April, get it into the House, use their legislative majority to squelch, debate on it, and put it through mm-hmm. and hope that the public doesn't remember this when the election rolls around.
0: All right, we're back with Von Palmer this morning. We were talking about previewing the throne speech, which is coming up today. And I have a feeling, Vaughn, one of the other subjects that's going to be pretty high on everybody's list for this session is healthcare.
1: Yeah, healthcare and family doctors. So you've had a series of news stories recently pointing out that people are still having a heck of a time using the website this government set up to get a family doctor. And you've also got the health minister, Adrian Dix, saying, hey, we've made a lot of progress on this. We've added 700 family doctors in B.C. That's the government's number. And I've seen it reported a bunch of places. But I went back to the original announcement that Dix made right at the end of John Horgan's time in office of a big deal with the doctors of B.C., to provide new incentives for family doctors. And what that announcement said was that doctors would be able to sign on to the new compensation package. And in return, they would agree to take on, this is the government's press release, 1,250 patients. So they've added 700 doctors times government number, 1,250 patients. That should mean that there are 875,000 British Columbians who now have a family doctor. This is what the government said was going to happen, right? Well, there were only 900,000 British Columbians who didn't have a family doctor when they announced the deal, so the problem should be solved. Of course, it's not solved. This is a good example of why one should always beware of the forecasts in government news releases. I asked the Ministry of Health for an explanation for why 700 new doctors haven't solved the problem of finding a family doctor, and I was told it's complicated. Uh, Well, we've added more patients too, okay. Uh, Some of the doctors are just transfers. They already had patients, so it wasn't like they had a blank sheet where they could take 1,250 new patients and on and on and on. There's all kinds of explanations. But I guess I go, if you're going to go around boasting you've added 700 family doctors, You should also be able to show how it's helped to solve the shortage of family doctors because the national stats are out, Simi, and they say there's still a million British Columbians who don't have a family doctor. That's a lot. And you've heard the stories and I've heard the stories. People have gone on to the government website, which allows you to click on a family doctor and look for one, and they haven't been able to find one because- There's little point in boasting we've added 700 family doctors if people still can't find a family doctor and and are still being told, no, it's a lot more complicated than that. Just because we've added 700 family doctors doesn't mean we've solved the problem. I, I guess I just look at it and go, well, it's a big challenge ahead. It's going to take a lot more time to solve this. And it might be better if they put more energy into solving the problem and less energy into their news releases. But that's just me. (laughs) That's just (laughs) me.
0: I don't think that's just you, Vaughn. I think that's the point is a lot of people go, unless I have a family doctor, I don't feel like we're making progress.
1: Yeah, no, and and again, you go, gee, seven hundred—that's an awful lot of family doctors. Like, how many new, how many patients did they take up? Well, you can't get the well, them.
0: Well, here's now. what I think I also happened. I've heard this from a couple of people actually, anecdotally, and that is, there are doctors who worked in clinics before, who technically yes. were not family doctors, who are now saying, "I will take you on as a yes. patient as family." So you're not actually gaining any new patients. These are people that they were just seeing before.
1: Yeah, that's right, and you had. People who were practicing uh, hospitalists or whatever, who exactly. now yes. that the financial incentives are better, are switching to family doctoring. In the long run, that's a good thing, right? But again, yes. it's this is, I will say, one of the storylines for the year will be the credibility gap between the government's claim that it solved the problems and the work that remains to be done to solve the problem. I would say you've we've seen the same story reported um, at some length about childcare. You know, you've got $10 childcare if you can find it, right, that's another one. Good story in the sun today about rent subsidies. The government has huge rent subsidies for people that need them. Much of the money hasn't even been taken up. And the story from advocates four people needing rent sub- subsidies, mm-hmm. they're saying the subsidies don't work. They aren't delivering the goods. So, you know, uh, the government can rightly say we're trying to deal with all this, but they probably the should be a little more careful about saying they've solved all the problems. Some of these problems, we got a long, long way to go.
0: We do. Vaughn, thank you for that. Bye-bye, That is our Von Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun. Now, coming up, what if curing your memory issues wasn't about taking a pill or medication? What if it was about implanting something in your brain? Would you go for it? I mean, how close are we to this? Find out coming up next.